Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at beersandbible underscore and on Twitter at beersandbible p1. You can also email us at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 64 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Patrick. And I am Rick. And we are tired of the election. (laughs) Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully by the time this comes out, the election will have been this like at least some information will be out. Um, at time of recording, uh, we still don't know who the president still is. Don't know. So, election was Tuesday. It's Thursday, and nobody will concede. But there's definitely video evidence of people throwing ballots in the there, mail. There's some shady stuff going on. We, that's actually probably where we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. I think. Um, there was a funny meme going around, I guess, yesterday that said, if American Idol can decide 130 million votes during a, a, during a commercial break, um, we should know who the president is by now. This is true. I, like, I've said it multiple times. I don't, I don't know why we don't just, like, hire Chick-fil-A to run the elections for us. They'd have, they'd have the election done and the winner announced before midnight. And we'd probably all get free chicken. It, yeah, everybody would get a chicken sandwich, too. Here, so. Thanks for voting. Here's a chicken sandwich. <laughs> Dude, you know how amazing that would be? Let's get on that. We need to, we call, we need to call them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Biden since he's probably going to win. About, look, here's what you do for the next election. Oh, goodness. Anyway, Chick-fil-A so now, and voting. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, that would go over real well. <laughs> uh, so other than being exhausted from the election, how you doing? Man, I, I'll tell you what, I'm exhausted from everything. I'm exhausted from work. Well, I, I say, um, like, exhausted from the election, like we had a lot to do, like we campaigned or something. <laughs> we didn't. I'm just, did like, nothing. Like, I did wait in line for two hours. They, I guess it was yesterday or maybe the day before I watched, no, I guess it was Tuesday. I watched election coverage pretty much all day mm-hmm. at work. Yesterday, I did the same thing. Today, I got away from it a little bit because I'm just tired of it. Yeah. I listened to some Jesus music and... And put provided my input to my coworkers when it was asked of. That's right. That's me, so. man. You know, if 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 which I mean, you you said in the last one you voted for Trump. I did not vote for Trump. Uh, I voted third party. I voted for Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I felt a piece about that. You know, well, and and you know, you and I kind of talked about this off recording. Um, you felt confident voting third party because in your state it's deep yeah. red. Yes. Turning out in the state where I live, um, maybe my vote for Trump actually mattered a little bit. Yeah. And and I'll I'll be honest, if if I were still there 
you know, I think it would have been an even harder decision because, yeah. you know, it, I, I would have known that at that point, every single vote actually, you know, actually counts. And so there was a little bit of symbolism in me not voting for Trump. Um, and, and, you know, I've listened to I, I'll, the majority of the people that I know, respect, listen to, um, just about every one of them voted for Trump. And to be fair, hardly any of them voted for Trump last time. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that's really kind of confusing to me mm-hmm. is I know a lot of people who did not vote for Trump last time who did this time. And I've heard a few stories of people who did vote for Trump last time who were not. But, I mean, typically you'll, you'll hear just a kind of couple of anecdotal stories in, in each direction. No, no, no. I've had personal experience with multiple people mm-hmm. that I yeah. know that have that have switched. You know that, that yeah. switched, and so it's it's a uh, it's interesting. It's de- um, it's definitely a confusing situation we find ourselves in, especially if you yeah. look at the demographic of the election. Um, mm-hmm. And we can get into that later. We need to start drinking. Um, we do before uh, we get too far <laughs> into our actual discussion. <laughs> So what beer do you have tonight, Patrick? So tonight uh, we got different beers again because that's just kind of the era that's we're gonna. That's, that's the lane we're gonna be in for a while. <laughs> um, I've got from the Tantrum Brewing Company. Yeah, they are located in Cleveland, Georgia. Okay. okay. Um, I think that's north of Atlanta. Um, but I've got the Look Closer Milkshake Double IPA. Um, Dude, if that thing does not look like milk, I'm going to be upset. I'm not sure what it's going to look like because um, it's in a can. In a can. Um, <laughs> their website uh, isn't functional. Boom. Like, if you go to their website, it says, we're under construction. Check back later. Come um, on, Tantrum. I'm not going to do that. So, I don't really have any information on this one. It's 8.4% ABV. Dude, you're going another week on the on the high. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing it on purpose, but after the last couple of days, maybe. <laughs> I'm uh, not doing it on purpose, but I'm also doing it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's not. I mean, the can's kind of cool. That's yeah, look at that. We'll post a that's picture kinda, of it, but I'm showing it's right now. That's that's not. That's nice. Uh, uh, it's a, cool. It's a, it looks like a cool drawing. Yeah, it's a clean. It's clean. Um, I think other tantrum beers. I saw them in the store. I went to. I went to a different store than I usually go to. Um, this is actually a similar look, just a different color to some of the other stuff I've got. So, nice. so that's what I've got. Um, what do you got, Rick? Tonight, I have the uh, Smithwick's Red Ale, and it is a 4.5 ABV um, Irish Red Ale. Um, I went to a new store hoping that they were going to have a good selection, and it was poop. So I'm not going to go back to that store, uh, but this was the the most interesting thing I could find in the store, so I bought it, and uh, and we're going to see if it's any good or not. I have I, I think I've actually heard of Smithwick's before, um, but I don't think I've ever had anything from Smithwick's. So yeah. we're going to see how it goes. Yours last week was 11.2 ounces. Mine this week is 11.2 ounces. Oh, I think, I think that's a I think across the, the pond thing. I think the store you go to is an international. They only have international beers, so that would make sense. Or oh, they, no, this or they, they, this one definitely had a couple of like Yinglings, and, oh, okay. and and it was funny because they had them set out like in singles, like you could do the whole build your own six pack. Oh, thing. that that that's a fun thing to do. I've done that. It is. I've done if that. You have um, a good selection. Yeah. <laughs> 
when <laughs> I guess it was last summer. So this would be summer 2019, the last time we went to the beach. Um, the Walmart there in PCB, you can build your own mm-hmm. six pack. That was really that was really the first summer I'd really been much of a drinker, so that was fun for me to be able to do that. <laughs> um, the next time we do that, I'll have a uh, a better idea of what I like and what I want have to a, get. Build your own twelve pack. <laughs> build my own. I'm just gonna, I'm just taking all of this. So um, I guess let's crack these things open and let's see what it. happens. Let's do it. I think mine is a pop-off, so I'm going to try to pop it off. Here we go. And mine's a can, so different sounds coming your way in three, two, two one. Mine didn't pop very good. That smells like an IPA. You know that IPA smell that we talked about? The dirty sock smell? I guess. <laughs> if you want to call it that, sure. Oh, man. Don't do this to me. So mine does not look like milk. I'm sorry, you're gonna be oh, disappointed. Oh, day. But it does. I mean, it's it's a good looking beer. There you go. Yeah, that's nice. Mine definitely is a clear red ale, all day. Dude, maybe for okay. So I know we're gonna drink these beers and we'll talk about them here in a second. Maybe for like December this year for Christmas, we do uh, ciders. Ooh, I actually had that thought. Since we did Oktoberfest one time, and ciders yeah. would be good to do at Christmas time. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Sorry, you're getting might some. Be, you're getting some in your way there. You're getting some insight into the the thought process <laughs> of Rick and Patrick. Doing a little planning here. Yeah, which we don't typically do a whole lot of. So, <laughs> um, so uh, mine looks good. The it's the head is like jiggly. Nice. It's weird. Mine smells, uh, I think this is going to taste like yingling. Mine smells very fruity, like fruity and IPA. IPA. <laughs> well, let's turn them up so we can uh, get some beer and, and have a discussion while we're drinking because tonight's discussion is going to be a whole lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. So <laughs> here we go. Well, let's turn them up. Cheers. That's pretty good. Dude, mine's I've got mine locked in. <laughs> Are you go you must be going five. Yeah, that's a five beer. Nice. <laughs> it's it is really, really good. It's um What does it taste like? <sighs> Goodness in a cup. So it's a double IPA. But it's not overly bitter or tart. Okay. It's almost creamy. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know if that's my brain trying to trick me because it says it's a milkshake double milkshake. IPA, whatever that means. Um, yeah. But it's it's almost creamy. There's a tight, like the tiniest bit of bite, but it's still really smooth. Um, it's got a very strong citrus flavor, which I which I'm enjoying okay. a little bit. And it's a sweet citrus, not like a grapefruit citrus. It's all like a yeah. good sweet, juicy orange citrus. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I'm getting. I could be totally wrong on what it, what's in it. Um, 
their websites down so I can't look it up. Um, <laughs> and by down, I mean doesn't work. Um, but yeah, this is a five out of five, a hundred percent. I mean, I was locked in before I really had it all the way down. Like that's, I was like, man, this is that, that is it's that's like no crust level good, right? Yeah, now. it's like no crust Gaelic ale level. Oh like, man, remember Gaelic ale? Like when we so that was the episode. I don't know um, if we covered it in the episode that made it to the podcast. But we actually recorded, we recorded, uh, we recorded like half of an episode and then Rick's computer crashed or something <laughs> during the recording. So we had to bail and come back. But in the original tasting of Gaelic Ale, I about jumped out of my seat. Yes. But how good that beer was. Yep. This is, this is that level of good. Nice. Yes. Gaelic was the first five ever awarded on the Beers and Bible podcast, episode 10. Yes. So there you go. There's a little history. Uh, if you're just now joining us uh, in the last few weeks or, or last couple months. Yeah. So, um, that's yours? awesome. How's that's yours? awesome. Mine is good. It is. Uh, it's what I would expect out of an Irish red ale. Um, It is. It's a. Okay. It's a okay. <laughs> we're, we're over here flashing hand signals. <laughs> I, I, it's, I I play a game trying to guess what Rick's gonna okay. rate his beer. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna come in. So this one actually reminds me of the Mosey, um, and okay. it, it reminds me of the um, Fairhope. I think therefore I Amber. Mm-hmm. Both of these. So it's a red ale. Um, I guess I was I was anticipating it being a little bit more ale-ish and not quite so amber, mm-hmm. but other than the color, but it, it's got, I mean, it's got a great flavor. It's got great consistency. The taste is there. Um, it's, I mean, it's got everything you'd want in a beer. So I'm going to give it four and a half because it's not quite a five to me. I, mm-hmm. I still like the, the, um, I think therefore I amber better. Um, so this is good, but this is like, this is equal to the Mosey that I did just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Uh, and I gave it four and a half. Uh, and so, so I'm going to come in at four and a half because this is, this is a good one. And I would, if I can find it, I would go back and get it again. All right. Wouldn't have any qualms getting it. And I'm not upset that I have five more in my fridge. We're on a little bit of a run the last four weeks. Uh, we are. Seven out of eight ratings have been four and a half or higher, four or higher. And six have been four and a half or higher. Nice. Um, now Yingling was one of those. Yes. Um, but still gets five Luthers. I've got one now. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to crack one open as soon as I'm done with this other one. But hey, Tantrum and Smithwicks. That's really good. Tantrum. Good I'm, I'm excited uh, about that. Uh, tantrum for, is a new one. I don't I don't think I've had any Tantrum. I'm going to see if I can find one from them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know where to go get some. So I'm, there you go. I'm going to go get some more to try. So well done. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Tonight, in in the spirit of the election and in the spirit of the last, I guess, couple of weeks, two weeks ago we talked about the election. Um, actually, I guess it was like a week ago we talked about the election. This will be tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about cancel culture, um, and so this will be coming out two weeks from or a week and I don't know. We're gonna talk about the electoral college because of the total lack of. I don't even know what to call this election anymore. I really don't. Uh, but just the, the 
chicanery that's going on. Yeah, chicanery and, and tomfoolery is what it tomfoolery. is. Tomfoolery. And, you know, people are, you know, Biden got 73 million votes. Why isn't he just the president? Because he won the popular vote. And this is the same argument we heard in 2016. It's the same argument we heard in 2000. You know, you can win the popular vote, but still lose the electoral college. So we're going to talk about the electoral college, why it matters, uh, and why the Constitution is such an important document for not only just Americans, but really for American Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do like to bring everything kind of back to the Bible. We're not really specifically talking about the Bible tonight. Uh, But why is something like the Electoral College, the Constitution, all of this kind of stuff, why is it important for, for Christians? So stick around, and we will be right back. Welcome back. We are here to slice and dice your electoral college and political commentary. We're going to shred everything and give you the greatest commentary you've ever heard in the history of all commentaries. And that's probably not at all true. But we're at least going to talk about it. But here's the thing. We are going to be um, as thorough as we can be. Mm -hmm. Um, we might run down a couple of rabbit trails, um, but I think it's important to have a base, at least a basic understanding of, of why the, why the United States has the system that it does for choosing the Mm -hmm. president. Um, but also why it matters to us as believers. Um, and, and, and how any talk of changing the system is, uh, de- detrimental um, can can be detrimental to our other causes that we hold yeah. dear to our heart. So yeah, it's it's. I mean, you're talking about completely changing our form of government is what you're talking about mm-hmm. because you know, um, and and I always like to compare it to to Britain. You know, Britain has a parliamentary system of government, and we have a representative republic now. There are a lot of similarities between a parliamentary and a representative republic, but in the end, it's not about separation of powers in parliament. It's not about, um, you know, it's it's all about what alliances can be formed, and that's why politics is so different in Europe than it is here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but let's talk. So let's talk about the electoral college. Okay. Uh, this is probably a little bit more in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. um, and so so I'm going to let you just kind of go and give us give me. Let's pretend like I'm new and give me a basic rundown of how the electoral college works. Okay, so the electoral college is a group of electors that um, they will meet in December. After the, um, so they meet in December after, it's either December or January. They meet after the, the general election in November. Um, and what happens is they will cast their votes for the candidate that won their representative, their, um, their state. So for example, uh, the 55 California electors will meet in December or January and cast their 55 votes for Joe Biden. 
um, in 48 of the 50 states and D.C., the uh, system is set up as a winner-take-all system. So you need to win 50% plus one vote of the state to get all of the votes in that state. Um, if you win 50% plus one vote in Texas, you get all 38. If you win 50% plus one in North Dakota, you get all three. Um, there are two states where that's not the case. That is Nebraska and Maine. And that has actually really come up this in this election for the first time. Because, um, uh, so Maine gets four electoral votes. Three of them will go to Biden. The one, um, there's one, uh, jurisdiction is not the right word, but that's the word I'm going to use here. Um, one will go to Trump because Trump won that, that region. And then Nebraska has, um, five votes and it's the exact opposite. Trump got four and Biden will get one of those. Mm-hmm. It's really the first time I remember that happening in recent memory. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened. I'm just saying I don't remember it happening. Yeah. So, um, so they, they meet and cast their votes. Um, there's 538 possible votes. So you have to win 270 to get the, to win the presidency. We all know that because that is all anyone is, uh, showing right now is the race <laughs> to 270. Um, and really, um, the electoral college was set up so that, uh, states have some representation, mm-hmm. um, nationwide, um, and it's set up proportionally by population. Um, mm-hmm. now there's a caveat with that. Um, the minimum, uh, the minimum number of votes that a state has to have or is given is three, mm-hmm. um, and then, so that means some states have more votes, like the states with three or four have more electoral college votes than the states with more people that live in them. Yeah. Like California, for example, would have way more than 55 votes if we did it direct or directly proportionally to the population yes. of the state. Um, but it was set up, ooh, excuse me. I don't usually talk this much all at once. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm the history guy. So that's why I'm like, I'm, yes. I'm like really excited about this, about this discussion. tonight. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the founders set up the system this way so that certain states wouldn't have more power than all the states yes. than other states. Um, it's, it keeps you from being mob rule. Yes. And, and that is why the, the, the idea of the electoral college is so important to, to keep because if we go, if we get away from the electoral college and go strictly to a straight up popular vote, which is what a lot of people on the left want to do because they have lost a couple of elections because they won the popular, but lost the electoral college. Um, then that sets us up for potential mob rule. Yeah. Down the line. I'm not saying like in 2024 or 2028, but it sets up a, it could set up yeah. a pattern of. Mob. Well, and, and here's the, here's the thing. I always, you know, I always try to think the opposite direction. You know, I always like to play devil's advocate. So, and I'll, and I'll ask people this. Okay. So you want the electoral college abolished and you want popular vote to be in. Okay. Well, in 10 to 15 years, when the tenor of the nation has changed, and you're no longer in the majority, but you, and you, and then you feel like you're being silenced by the the opposition. Mm-hmm. 
what do you want then? Well, then you want the electoral college back. Right. And so, so it's a, it's a, it's a situation of, you know, we really need to stick with our guns and say, is the system we have perfect? No, it's not perfect. Nothing can be perfect, but it's, it's really the, the very best and well thought out. And, and think about this. The electoral college has produced 200 and what now almost 50, almost 250 years of power changes with zero violence. You name me another governmental system that can that can have changes of power as many times as America has had changes of power with zero violence. I mean, it, it is people sit back and and they really should. They're in awe because I mean, we elected presidents in the middle of the Civil War. We elected presidents in the middle of World War II, all without any bloodshed in well, our country. Well, to, to throw a little wrench into that, the South didn't partake in the 64 election. That's but, true. That's um, true. <laughs> I mean, they partook in the 60 and then all bailed. So, I yes. mean, there's a little, you know, there's there's something to be said about that. But for the most part, yes, the, the changes of power have been peaceful, you know, throughout the entirety of the United States history within our country. Yes. Um, when, Doesn't mean the world was at peace. No, but no, no. America and, had peaceful power changes. Yeah, I mean the United States has been at war for all of what, like, nineteen minutes since the beginning <laughs> of the country. So, um, it's more. I don't know what the actual number is, but so, um, what do we want to talk about next? So, all right. So we have the electoral college. The electoral college is designed to give voice and give representation as best as you can. To yes. Americans, yes. Okay, um, it, it it gives Montana a, a say. It gives Montana, you know, a little bit of voice in the election. Yeah, it's a um, it's a small voice. Not I'm not I'm not yeah. arguing that the five hundred or six hundred thousand people in Montana are going to decide the national vote, but they get a say in it. Their vote yeah. matters. Um, you know, the fifty five in in California almost always go left. So mm-hmm. um, that is something I do want to talk about. So um, I heard it on a podcast I was listening to. I don't remember who all of my conservative people run together at this point, <laughs> um, but they were saying, let me, I'm doing some quick math. So here, so uh, Jeopardy insert Jeopardy music for just a second. It's going to sound funny with the little with the distortion. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> um, that's not right. What the heck? So, all right. Uh, I'm, he's doing math. Yeah, I'll yeah, say, yeah, I'll yeah, say this. Ahead, so, you've got California with 55. You've got New York that has, I think, 29. Um, you've got Virginia that had, which Virginia used to be a fairly solid red state and has, has consistently drifted uh, blue in recent recent decades, couple the last couple of decades. But you have these a few powerhouse states mm-hmm. that, that really kind of contribute to the base of, a, of, of either Democrats or Republicans. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you combine just a few of those states, you, I mean, if, if, if you did it exactly proportionally, those states would have an outsized influence in everything else. Yeah. 
yeah. If, if it was a each state gets equal, like directly proportionate to their population, um, I don't know what the numbers are, but it would be astronomically. It, it you could realistically win the electoral college with like four states. Yeah. Regardless right. of if every single person in every other state voted against you, and fifty percent plus one voted in the other in the four for yeah. you, you could win the entire pot, the entire election with uh, just yeah. a handful of states. The, Which, the, sorry, go ahead. No, so say, think about what that means. That means that California or whoever these four states are get to decide for Iowa, for Montana, for Alabama, for Mississippi, for, mm-hmm. for these smaller states. Yeah. They're the ones who get to decide policy for these states. And th- that is, I mean, that's the whole thing that this country was founded on was we we need to give as much voice to everybody mm-hmm. as we possibly can. Yeah. The, uh, this, you know, if you take states out, if we are no longer the United States of America and we're just Bidenopolis, I don't know what to call us. <laughs> um, like, like, so, so you're saying that, you know, let, let's leave states in it. If all of California, I mean, California could legit get like 200 electoral votes. I don't know what the math is. I need to sit down and do it. But if California can decide what happens in North Dakota, where nothing is the same, the demographics aren't the same, the economy is not the same, mm-hmm. uh, culture, climate's not the same, that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, at that point, we might as well just be a monarchy or a dictatorship like <laughs> any other country in the world. Yeah. So the math I was doing, um, so the, the way the electoral college is set up or not the way it's set up, but the way it is now, the way it operates. Um, and, and I don't know if it's evident by how we talk, but I lean conservative. So, um, I think it's safe to say we're both conservatives. Yeah, we're both conservative. So, um, Democrats have kind of a leg up when it comes to the electoral college, because if you factor in. And, and I could be, my math could be off here, but if you factor in California, Oregon, and Washington, um, their strongholds in Virginia, New York, and the rest of the Northeast, plus Illinois, which they almost always win, they're at 169 electoral votes right there. They just need 101 more to get the yeah. the presidency, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. If you, Considering if you, Alabama is nine Georgia yeah. is 16, Mississippi is yeah, I think, you, 6 or 7. You only need to get a handful of states to win the yeah. to win the election at that point. So the you know, the way the things are now, the it's really kind of skewed in favor of the Democrats. Yeah. In in favor of the left. And, and this isn't supposed to get political, but tonight it's going to get political and we apologize <laughs> if you're tired of pol- a political podcast go back and listen to early episodes of the beers and bible podcast yeah. and, and, and learn about and learn about there's no politics in like the first 30 episodes yeah you go back listen to when we were doing j.i packer that was great um <laughs> but you know the the issue with a straight up popular vote is that it strips the it strips the voice from people who live in places that um, aren't as densely populated, yeah. Um, and, and that is a problem. And that at that point, Biden would never have to go. And he, I mean, yeah. they don't go to the small states anyway. 
but they don't have a voice. They don't, there's, yeah. there's no defending so, them. So, yeah. And here, so here's something interesting. The, the actual map for the electoral college can change. The number doesn't mm-hmm. change, but the map itself can change. Mm-hmm. So here's what's interesting. In the last, and, and I've had, I have several friends who live in California. Um, in the last 10 to 15 years, California has really undergone a, uh, they, they've actually called it the, the Calexit, um, mm-hmm. where people are leaving California in pretty hefty numbers. Hmm. Um, they're going Idaho, they're going to Arizona, they're going to Nevada, they're going to Texas, they're going to the, the Midwest. They're, now, we can we can debate all of what they're doing when they go. You know, they're taking their blue stuff and they're they're infiltrating blue, and that's why some of these states that used to be pretty solid red are now tending blue uh, or trending blue. Um, but but what you could see is, especially with the census happening this year, there is a very real possibility that the the uh, population of California has changed to the point where they could possibly lose one or two uh, electoral college votes mm-hmm. and another state pick up those one or two electoral college votes. Yeah. And so you see, so don't think that the electoral college is a fixed, like California is always going to get 55 votes and, and Texas is always going to get 38 votes. It's, it's not a fix because if the population of a state changes so much that uh, it, it has to be adjusted then, or they need more districts or whatever it is, then, you know, they can get more power. They can get yeah. more votes that way. And so, you know, don't don't think that it's that it's fixed that way, you know, and, and it's been that way from the beginning because it was never that way from the beginning. It was always it was a system that is built for for movement. It's a system that's built for for change, mm-hmm. but it's still very, very rigid and it keeps as many people having a voice as possible. That's what's to me, that's what's really smart about the Electoral College. Yeah. So, and go ahead. So, so you're talking about uh, how the Electoral College can change. Um, I, I was just looking at, so there's a chart. It's on Wikipedia. So take take that, you know, take with that what you, what you will. I, I tend to think most of Wikipedia is pretty accurate. Um, you know, and if it's not, you can fact check it yourself. Yeah. But um, so in 1960, there were 537 electoral college votes. That why is that important? Well, because in 1964, the District of Columbia, yeah, the District of Columbia got added as a uh, jurisdiction that could receive electoral college votes. But the electoral college only changed to 538. So if you look at well, where those votes come from, um. Pennsylvania lost three votes in 64. Uh-huh. So there's a change there. And then Alabama actually lost one as well. There you go. Um, I mean, so votes are moved. Uh, I mean, California gained eight that between those two. Arkansas gained, or Arizona gained one. Arkansas lost two. So, I mean, things change all the time. So just because it looks like, you know, California's got a stronghold with 55 or New York's got a stronghold with 29, you know, it's not always going to be that way. There, there are, is inevitably going to be changes. Mm-hmm. Um, some things never change. Delaware has had three for every election except 
1820. And they uh-huh. had four of those three years. So, you know, things are always changing. Things are always, yes. you know, in flux. Um, Which is why the census matters. Yes. I hope you've all filled out your census papers this year. I did it online, but yes. <laughs> I did too. So, so the electoral, we have the electoral college. Mm-hmm. We've given that rundown why it's important. The electoral college is based in the constitution and it's, it's established by the constitution. And so let's, let's talk about why the constitution is important for Americans. Um, you know, what, what is it, uh, you know, why does having something written down something uh, that has to be voted on to be amended, something that has to be ratified by the states. Why does all of that matter for you or for me, Mr. Joe Schmo, citizen of the United States of America? Well, I mean, it gives us like this baseline of how we expect the country to be run and operated. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously what was written for the United States in 1787 or 1789 or, you know, things change over time, but the main message of the constitution remains the same. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are people who argue that it's a a living document. And that means that, you know, what was written in 1787 doesn't mean the same thing it does now. Mm -hmm. Um, And while they're, you know, it, it, it's a. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't apply to us now, mm-hmm. um, like word for word apply, but the Constitution as it was written was the foundation of what has become one of the greatest countries in the history of the world, and I would argue the greatest country in the history of the world. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's a it's this document that sets into motion um, every great thing you know about the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, it, it is, it was written after we uh, took it to our, to our forefathers from Britain and, and, uh, and, de- and defeated them. Um, it's, I'm gonna let you talk for a minute because I'm because I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around the the. So it's, I, I think I know where you're going with this. It's important because if you don't have a fixed point, a, a fixed location, a, a you know what, if you're talking scientific terms, a constant. If you don't have a constant, then all of your variables can be wrong, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. yeah, so. Yeah. The Constitution is really that that constant. It is it is the one thing that should not. I mean, yes, we can amend it. We can. It, it doesn't say that it's perfect, but where the Constitution makes points and and where the Constitution sets laws and establishes the Bill of Rights and and those things, you need to abide by the words and and this is where uh, uh, my conservatism is going to show because i believe in what you would call a textualist or an originalist um i believe in the original interpretation i do you said uh, you know there's there's people who believe that it's a living document and that, that it's malleable and it can change 
And there are constitutional scholars who make those arguments, and, and they're smarter than I am, and they know the Constitution better than I do. But I don't believe, and you'll never convince me otherwise, that making something that was that was intended to be fixed and and solid, like a rock, can can become malleable, and that's a good thing. Because here's the thing. If you make something malleable, at some point somebody else is going to take that malleation and turn it into something that you don't like. Yeah. And 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 I'll give you the prime example of it right now. And and I've I've probably mentioned this, but you can trace this back to uh really and truly uh feminism is is kind of where it started. Um specifically second wave feminism, uh which which happened about the same time as civil rights. Um, where, where you, you started to feminism at that point really didn't become about equality. It became about being suppressive to men and it was all, it was about elevating women to a point where they're, they're over men and they're suppressing men because they had been suppressed for so long. And, you know, it was kind of like this revenge uh, mindset and, and things started to change. Well, that led to. Um, the civil rights, the civil rights is fantastic. I love the civil rights because they brought into, into the American forefront, um, the, the oppression that was happening, uh, to, to colored people and to immigrants and to, uh, you know, that was very important, but out of that spread and, and every revolution has unintended consequences. And I, and I believe this is one of them, but out of that spread came, what we now look at as the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. which we can, we can, you know, it started off 20 years ago as, uh, gay rights, you know, it was just called gay rights back then. Well then, you know, it had to be called well, lesbian and gay rights, you know, because you had gay was men and lesbian was female. So you had to have that too. Well then, then it became lesbian, gay, and bisexual rights. Uh, and then it became lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights. And now it's LGBTQIAA plus plus plus. You know, you name all of the acronyms that you want to add after that, and that's what it has become. And so now, with all of these things added, that are trying to get onto this first thing where it's that it started to become malleable. Now you have people overruling other people who are like, "Whoa, hang on a second. You know, uh, the transgender." have really stepped on uh, some of the the lesbian and gay people, I guess, you know, know, their rights, because they're saying, you know, transgender men, which would be a woman, should be able to compete in men's sports, and transgender women, which would be a man, should be able to compete in women's sports. Well, a lesbian woman is saying, no, I don't want to compete against a biological man. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and because we have, and, and we've applied this logic of everything is malleable and we've applied it to the constitution, we've applied it to biology and we've applied it to culture and we've applied it to politics. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's this postmodern thought that says everything is relative. Nothing is absolute. Now I'm going to let you think of, of the inconsistency of that statement in and of itself. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you get to this point where, you you take everything as a what what you want to interpret it as that means you can't contradict somebody else who has a different interpretation than you do because their interpretation is they're malleating their own interpretation that sh- the same thing that you did and so 
if you don't have something that is fixed, an original intent, an original, this is what the framers meant. This is what they did. Now, mm-hmm. if you, and, and I, I, I apply this to Bible study as well. When I, when I study scripture, I say there is one interpretation. It means, a passage means one thing. It does not mean more than one thing. Now, the application of that message can be varied. Mm-hmm. The application of where you're going with that can be varied. Do I think that, um, you know, a lesbian or a, a gay couple should be able to be married? Personally, I don't. But I'm all for them legally having the same protection tax-wise, um, you know, hospital stuff, all, all of that kind of, you know, power of attorney things that we talk about when you just talk about the nuts and bolts of marriage. Anything like that that's government involved, I, I think, you know, yeah, if they want to be that, okay, call it a civil union, be done with it. Give them the exact same protection that a married couple has. But let's not pretend like it's it's an actual marriage because it's not. Uh, marriage is defined in Scripture, and so Scripture is the one that gets to define marriage, not government. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so yeah, where, call where, it what you want. Yeah, in, in instances where where Scripture is not clear where you know or doesn't have a clear definition then it's okay yeah. to allow the government to to define things such as you know so i mean call them civil unions that's fine mm-hmm. um but but they they've made this a war of language and they've made this and they've they've manipulated language so much that now people are manipulating language on them and they're crying foul yeah well Congratulations! It's, You're now reaping the benefits of what you sow. Yeah, it's a it's a direct result of what they wanted and what they got. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a direct result of all that. So yeah, um, yeah. To make a, to make a theological point here, because that's what I'm good at. Rick is or Patrick is good at the history. I'm good at the at the theology. Um, but but. We can't treat Scripture like a lot of people want to treat the Constitution. The reason the Constitution is so important is because it is a fixed document that has meaning, it has inherent value, and it and it serves as the, the constant for our country. Mm-hmm. Okay? Scripture is the Constitution for the Christian life. Yes. It is the constant. It is the one thing that's that's your sole source and authority. It's the one thing that guides you. And, and where it corrects you, you need to let it correct you. You don't need to try to make it malleable and change it to, to say, oh, well, Jesus didn't speak against homosexuality, so I shouldn't speak it. No, Jesus did. He did yeah. that. The Bible speaks against it. So that that's all you need to know is it's in Scripture. If it yeah. is in Scripture, then then that's all there. That's the only authority that it needs. Yeah. And, and so and, yeah. and there's no amendments to Scripture either. Yeah, you know, you know, scripture is is final. It's absolute. It's it says what it means. It means what it says. You know, we can refer to it as our constitution, but also know that if your pastor is saying it's scripture plus this other thing that I wrote or this other thing yeah. that someone else wrote, or if someone says it it really isn't just about scripture, you need to check those people out and see what they're what they're doing somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, for real. Do. But you know. <laughs> You know, we, we, we can refer to the Constitution or the refer to our scripture as our Constitution because it is our framework as believers yeah. that we that we go back to and say, this is where I'm going to find my foundation in morality and how mm-hmm. I treat my 
how I treat others, how I how I treat my family, how I deal with my finances. Um, yeah, and it, if, and and scripture doesn't change. That's the other thing. You know, yeah. we talked about amendments to the Constitution. The Constitution has changed several times. Yeah, over the course if, of history. I think if I had to give a better analogy, and I just thought about this while you were talking about um, scripture. Scripture is, and I, I, this analogy may fall fall flat too, but. Scripture is is the root behind all of okay everything. Well, the the creeds and confessions are probably a little more like a constitution. Okay, the yeah, creeds yeah. and confessions are things that we've developed over the years, and we've added creeds, and we've added this, and and we've kind of, but we but we have this wall of creeds and confessions that really kind of keep us in this certain bounds of orthodoxy. So scripture but, would be like like the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> So I say I, I knew this analogy was going to fall flat, but yeah, something. I mean, I, and, and I hate to say it this way, but but like Scripture is the ideals behind the foundation of all of the all of the creeds and confessions. Mm-hmm. So the the Constitution itself, the Declaration of Independence itself, is all based off of an ideal, and it's written out of an ideal. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, again, the analogy falls flat somewhere, but, no, uh, but I, I get what you're saying. But scripture, yeah, because scripture is still fine. It's written. It's it's down and it's hard and copied, and we can we can hold it in our hands. You can't hold the ideals of the Constitution in your hand. Um, but but yeah, that's that's the idea, and so that is why as Christians, you know, number one, uh, as as if you're an American citizen, you should appreciate and love the Constitution and treat it in its original form, and 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 as good and honorable citizens that's what we should do if you're i know i've looked at our stats we actually have people who listen in foreign countries in ireland and and other stuff whatever country you're in if there is a constitution in your country that that establishes the law for your country so so respect it honor it give it give it the the honor that it's due as a citizen of your country not anything more than that but but at least the honor that it's due as a citizen of your country and and as christians our creeds or our constitution can be found in our creeds and our confessions and um, teaching it to our kids and our, and our catechisms. And, uh, and all of that is founded on scripture. All of that is founded in uh, the, the teaching of scripture. And so that is our, that is our sole authority. Uh, and, and that is strictly where we go to and it, and it does not change. We may change our constitution. We may change our creeds and confessions. But we do not change scripture, so that's why that is important for us as Christians. And, and we did want to bring it back to at least at least something biblical uh, tonight to talk about why it's important for Christians. But yeah, Christians understand the Constitution, learn the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you don't, if you're not a citizen of the United States, learn your your local. Yeah. Your your national whatever your documents in your country are, yeah. learn those and and learn to, um, respect them. Learn you know understand where they came from. Understand what the original writers had in mind when they were writing. Very similar ideas to what we talk about when you're studying scripture. Mm-hmm. You want to know what the writers of scripture were writing to who they were writing. Um, in the same way, know what your founding fathers were writing when they wrote yeah. what they wrote. Because it, it does matter. 
Yes. It really does. When Thomas Jefferson wrote, we're, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yes, he owned slaves at that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I have to believe that he, at least in, in some part of his mind, believed that all men, including the sa- slaves he owned, were created equal in the image of yeah. God. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, what it does is that is it shows he he did believe that yes, but the depravity of it shows what they did to try to not call slaves men yeah. because they knew if they acknowledged them as men or as women, then then they would have those inalienable rights that that were put forth in the in the Constitution in the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and so it you know. A, a broken clock is still right twice a day. Yeah, you know, uh, just just because just because he was wrong on something else doesn't mean he's wrong on this. And so you have to you have to take it with a grain of salt, and and you do. And we're not saying that the Constitution and and the Declaration is is perfect because it's not. That's why we've amended it something twenty seven times. It's also why we as believers have like the Scripture that we hold as our foundation. Yes. And and we put things like the Constitution against Scripture. What does Scripture say? Yeah. And so, yeah, there you go. Well, Patrick, if they want to reach us on social media, where would they do that? If you are on the social media, you can find us at uh, on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. We are over on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast and uh, finding our logo you can also email us over at beers and bubble podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, hear any beer suggestions you have, any questions you have about anything we've discussed um, in the last few weeks, or if you have any questions about anything that you're reading um, yourself in scripture, or if you have any theology questions you'd like for us to digest on the podcast in the future, we would love to do that for you. So until next week, we hope you have a good one. And we will see you later. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.